Real estate. As a Vancouverite, you would be hard pressed to go through a week without seeing a new update on the real estate market, be it positive or negative. Coastal Front is looking to add to the discussion today by sitting down with two industry experts, Trevor Coote and Brendan Ogmanson from the BC Real Estate Association. The BCREA is the professional association for over 24,000 commercial and residential realtors in British Columbia. The organization supports the province's eight real estate boards by providing professional development opportunities, advocacy, and research. Trevor became Chief Executive Officer in the spring of 2022 and brings a wealth of knowledge with him, which includes serving as the CEO of the Kamloops and uh, District Real Estate Board, Executive Officer at the Kootenai Association for Realtors, and being a former managing broker and realtor himself for several years. His colleague, Brendan, served as the Deputy Chief Economist for nine years before being appointed as the Chief Economist himself in October of 2019. Brendan specializes in macroeconomic forecasting, housing market analysis, and economic modeling. He's responsible for producing forecasts for the BC, Canadian, and US economies, as well as authoring quarterly analysis of mortgage rates and the BC commercial real estate market. So Trevor and Brendan, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Great. So why don't we start, Trevor, with yourself? Uh, I think a lot of British Columbians probably don't realize that they are probably indirectly touched by the BC Real Estate Association through their realtor. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the BC Real Estate Association, please? Yeah, absolutely. You, you articulated it really well in the intro, Andrew. I mean, um, we represent uh, the interests of, uh, you said, over 24,000, and it's, it's broken the, the threshold of 25,000 realtors in, in British Columbia uh, during COVID times. Um, and uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, the, the professionalism of the industry and of the realtors uh, providing education, as you pointed out, and uh, uh, providing the services that they need to do their jobs. Um, but in addition to that, it's uh, representing them uh, in uh, uh, ways of, of economics, as, as Brendan brings to the table, uh, and statistics, uh, but certainly from an advocacy and a lobbying perspective. So we, we act as the professional membership board organization. Uh, we work closely with uh, the regulator, uh, the, the regulator of the real estate industry, which is the BC Financial Services Authority. Um, and then, of course, uh, lobbying efforts towards government uh, when policy changes uh, and, and, and working with them, in fact, uh, in some cases to try and help uh, uh, provide evidence-based uh, research uh, for them to populate that policy. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then we, we shift those gears when they don't listen to us uh, and uh, have different conversations. And do you find that, uh, generally speaking, because most of your regulatory environment is going to be based provincially, right? Like through, through, through yes. the BCFSA. You're right. Uh, yeah. And we had Chris Elgar, as you know, Chris. He was as one of our guests a couple years ago. Uh, we talked more about the credit union space, but he's with the BCFSA. Do you find the BC regulators pretty open and receptive to your guys' feedback? The, the regulator has been really good to work with. Yeah. I, and, and of course, I, well, not of course, I, this would be news to a lot of people, but there was a major change in the structure of the regulator in recent years. And yeah. in, in 2018, uh, we had a co-regulatory environment with an office of the, of the superintendent and a real estate council. Uh, that changed to oversight uh, by the uh, BC uh, Financial Services Authority. 
Um, and we, we maintain good relationship because I, you know, as much as we're advocates and, and we need to lobby, uh, we are all interested in consumer protection. And, uh, and so, you know, aligning those interests and making sure that the policy that, that's implemented is, is well suited uh, benefits all of us. Um, having said that, uh, in, in, you know, kind of the recent past, and, and we'll talk about this later in the podcast, I think, uh, some of the challenges, uh, not so much with the regulator, but with government and, uh, and them not, not empowering the regulator properly to do their job. Oh, and really? So we can, okay. we can touch That'll on that Okay, that'll be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you have 25,000 uh, members now. I would imagine that most of them are residential uh, real estate uh, agents as yes. opposed to commercial. Yeah, and, and, and to, to make sure that there's a differentiation, not all real estate licensees in the province are realtors. So oh, uh, okay. people can hold a real estate license and not be a realtor. They are a realtor by being a member of a, a real estate board in BC, uh, which makes them a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association. So oh, it's, it's, a, it's a federal organization. Um, they have a, a, a code of ethics, a realtor code of ethics that they adhere to, which which elevates uh, the the responsibilities and the requirements. Um, but yeah, I, there, there we're twenty five thousand three hundred and fifty one uh, by last count. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and uh, the majority it, is going to be resi- active residential right. real estate yes. agents. Yeah, yeah. Like okay. it depends on market size too. Like in small markets, they just do both. I in see. a market like Vancouver, you've got people that specialize, specialize. in commercial. So, yeah. yeah. So with respect to, uh, there's each province would have its own BC REA uh, equivalent. So you've got your, your peer reviewers in Alberta. Do you guys do any collaboration with them? Do you have uh, aligned interests at all? Is that a factor? A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. And and uh, as, as you pointed out in the intro, I'm new to this role, uh, but not new to the industry. And yeah. Um, uh, when I, I was uh, part of the regulator in Saskatchewan, and, and uh, I can tell you that uh, there is always uh, watching what is happening in other parts of the, of the, the country, um, but also in other parts of the world. Uh, we're going to talk about the cooling off period a little bit. We did a lot of research around that and looked at what uh, those same policy implications are in other jurisdictions uh, around the uh, around the, the world yeah. um, and uh, use that as, as evidence to, you know, kind of influence our lobbying efforts to government. Great. Okay. And then, of course, there's Korea as well, the Canadian Real Estate Association. So they, they sort of handle national issues, but we'll collaborate with them on government relations and sometimes on economics, but, but okay. you know, mostly government relations. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get into this then. I would, I, we, we're going to get to policy, but before we do, I want to help the viewers get a bit of a, an idea of the, the landscape. We're mid-2022 right now. We've come out of two years of COVID, uh, a pretty crazy market, rising interest rate environment. So um, in 2021 and 2020, we saw real estate prices skyrocket here in this province uh, with month over month sales numbers that were smashing previous records. And now halfway through 2022, we're beginning to see a decline in both sales volumes as well as prices. So, Brennan, question for you. For our viewers, can you help elaborate on what is happening right now and where do you see this BC market going? Yeah, sure. So, you can kind of take a trip through through history with, yeah, this, let's, with this chart. Yeah. 2018, 2019. 2018 was the last time Bank of Canada was really tightening rates. We had the introduction of the stress test in 2018. That really uh, impacted sales all across Canada, but especially more expensive markets in BC. So, we saw really weak markets 2018, halfway through 2019. Uh, if you recall, uh, halfway through 2019, we started to actually see uh, bond yields start to fall. We had actually an inverted yield curve at one point in 2019. Uh, mortgage rates started coming down. Market was really recovering. 
right in 2020, we were expecting to have a pretty strong 2020 COVID hits. Uh, we have, as you can see, that big dip in the chart is, is the COVID months where activity slowed to historical lows. Uh, but once everyone kind of realized we can still do business safely uh, and the economy started to open and most importantly, interest rates fell to all time record lows. I think they were about 60, 70 basis points below their previous record. Even the five year fixed rate fell to 1.8% at one point. And we have a really interest rate sensitive market. And as you can see in the chart, uh, home sales responded really, really strong. We had an incredible recovery. Uh, part of it is too, just the way COVID impacted the economy. If we look at, at high wage employment, it actually grew 10% during the pandemic. A lot of the jobs lost were in certain lower wage service sector um, uh, and still kind of struggling to recover now. Uh, so all through 2020, we were recovering halfway through 2020. 2021 was a record year. We had record sales in nearly every region. We beat 2016's record sales, the province, by about 12,000 sales. Um, and, uh, and we had a pretty strong first quarter, 2022. And then interest rates really, really started to rise. And now we see sales that are about 20% below average in kind of major markets and kind of around normal in some more affordable markets like the North and, and the Kootenai. So 20% below average, and, and how much lower than where we were a year ago? Uh, we're about 35 to 40% below wow. where we were a year ago. Of course, a year ago was still pretty, pretty strong. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, those interest rates really bite, especially now five-year fixed rate is over 5%. If you get that from your lender, that means you're qualifying at seven, right. uh, a rate that's not really been relevant in Canada since the early 2000s. That has a really, really big impact. And I like to kind of say, you know, differentiate demand with sales, right? The demand didn't really go anywhere. We still have a lot of young people in this province that want to buy homes, that would like to buy homes. Yeah. Uh, we just can't turn that demand into sales right now because it's really hard to qualify at these rates and prices. In simple terms, what are the main factors that you feel are contributing to this sharp contrast right now? Hey, the decline in, in sales is is all about interest rates. So you know, we were expecting sales to come down this year because we're not going to set records every single year. Yeah. So if you look at our forecast the end of last year, I think we were expecting like 100,000 sales this year. Now we're probably on pace for about 85,000 or so, which is still a good year, but that's on the back of a really strong first kind of quarter. Yeah. Where we're on like 110,000 sale pace. Uh, now we're on like a 70,000 sale pace, and so it's going to balance out. I think where it's really going to show up is 2023. Uh, as long as interest rates stay this high, I think we're going to see pretty weak activity. It's going to look a lot like 2018, 2019. Is it a fair statement, Brendan, that uh, w if we're going to start to see a downturn in prices, that the first sign of that is uh, the prices don't move, but sales volumes drop off as yeah. potential sellers hold out with the hopes that rates will or pricing will go back up? It's exactly how it always happens. Sales yeah. fall first. Uh, in, a, in a situation like we have now, where we started the year at record low inventory of listings, it takes a while for those listings to accumulate to the point where there's yeah. just more choice in the market, so you have to get downward pressure on prices. But it also just takes time for expectations of sellers and buyers to, to match. So if you're a seller and you, you, know, you still have a job, you don't, you're not panicky, you don't have to sell your home, yeah. you can just take off the market. Yeah. It's good to, you just like leave it on the market longer and longer. Sellers are always anchored to a price, the best price from six months ago. Buyers are anchored to whatever price you know, they read most recently in the newspaper. And it takes a really, or like whatever is going on in the media basically. And it just takes a long time for those expectations to match. Yeah, So you sure. can have like a long kind of, that's why And when you say a so long time, sticky. can you give us some context? Are we talking four yeah. months, six months, usually, up to a year? Yeah, no, like usually it's like, 
when we look at months of inventory, yeah. if we have like six months of kind of pretty high months of inventory, that's when we start to see real downward pressure on prices. Okay, okay. You know, one of the things I'll comment on is uh, I find for my, as growing up with a father who was a realtor for 25 years, but working in the financial markets, you know, in, in our industry, we never talk about sales volumes of how many shares of Royal Bank or Walmart sold today. I mean, sometimes you might, but it's generally not discussed. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's the, the, whether you sold, you know, the, whether it was a Royal Bank had uh, 2 million shares traded hands or 14 million shares, no one really cares. What they care about is the price. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed, and, and it's a, I don't know if it's a criticism, probably not, just more of an observation, is that in your world, there's so much talk about sales numbers. But a lot of times when, you, when guys like you are talking, you're saying, well, sales are down. It doesn't necessarily mean prices are down. No. They're two different things, right? It's, it's but really, as a realtor, yeah. I guess you are more interested in sales volume, right? Yeah, activities. That's how that, that's how you make money. Right? Yeah, and so it's it's a it's a disconnect, and it, it we see it all the time. Where, um, and like I was saying about buyers and, and sellers' expectations, um, you know, when we we kind of hear in the media like, oh, the you know sales are down twenty percent or whatever, but a lot of buyers take that twenty percent and think prices down twenty yeah, percent. They think because yeah. buyers think like the you know if you're not working in real estate, you're thinking prices most of the time too. That's right. But if you're in the industry, we almost exclusively focus on sales activity. Yeah. So there's this real disconnect. That's, right. that's part of what that, that gap in expectations is because it's like, yeah. we're not talking about prices. And you know, like to keep talking about 2018, 2019, sales fell like 35% over that period and prices in the province were down over that two year period, one and a half percent. Yeah. You can get big adjustments on the sales side without, you know, much yeah. of an adjustment on the pricing side. Yeah. It's really important to, to understand uh, how, it, understanding all of those scenarios come into kind of the broader picture as well because as brendan pointed out those sales are down it doesn't mean that the buyers aren't out there yeah and one of our concerns is we've been we've been saying since 2019 or 2018 that supply is a major issue in the province and in order to really kind of calibrate the economy the the, the supply demand scenario is we need more supply right but when that demand goes down because of interest rates there's less sales then people feel like oh now, now we're okay now it. we don't need yeah, any right. supply and it doesn't mean that the buyers aren't there it means that just the the, the environment for them to buy in is not optimal yeah so sure. so that's one of the challenges with our Good lobbying point. efforts is to say we still need the supply yeah. and what can government do to incentivize <coughs> developers to go out in a market like this and say you still need to build, yeah, build sure. some supply. Yeah. When you say incentivize, I mean, my view is that the biggest problem is that they're already incentivized. The, the problem is that they need to be uh, given an opportunity to yeah. build. I mean, yeah, here yeah, in yeah. Vancouver proper, as yeah. you know, it's, a, we it's can, a mess. That'll, that'll come yeah. up in our policy conversation yeah, yeah, in, in sure. a few minutes. Yeah. Okay. So the Bank of Canada just raised interest rates by a whopping 1% on July the 13th. It's the First time we've seen a full percentage point increase by the Bank of Canada since 1994, and only the sixth time in its entire history. You know, normally they raise and cut rates uh, by quarter point uh, increments. And right now, uh, mid-July, there's about a, uh, a, a, um, a, it's a 100% chance right now, markets pricing in of a 75 basis point increase in September. And uh, almost is about 80% chance of maybe even another 1%. I think it really will be dependent on what happens with inflation numbers. So the market's anticipating between now and the end of the year for interest rates to still go up by another 1.25%. There's a lot of Canadians, a lot of British Columbia sitting on variable rate mortgages. 
Can you, Brendan, talk a little bit about the dynamics of how interest rate hikes and local real estate markets kind of intersect? Like, what what does that mean for sure. uh, to kind of you know dumb it down for our listeners? Yeah, so I have a, a chart um, looking at the Bank of Canada and what like we hear the Bank of Canada talk about neutral rates. Uh, yeah, that one. Yeah, this one um, here's a great chart. Um, and so we you know, put together like you know if the Bank of Canada gets back to what it considers neutral. What does that mean for mortgage rates? What's a neutral mortgage rate, like an equilibrium mortgage rate? Yeah. So we think neutral, you think, what, what should the Bank of Canada rate be in long term when inflation's at 2% and the output cap is zero? So right now, if you see the green line in this chart is the two-year bond yield. It's a really good representation of market expectations because it's you know, the expectations hypothesis. It really only has expectations about monetary policy baked into it. It's not really a term premium. And if you look at that rate, I think it's around 3.2 or so, which would, would mean about another, what, 75 basis points. So maybe they get there all in one shot in September. Uh, that would mean that rates are above the Bank of Canada's estimate of neutral, between 2 and 3%. So that's REM really slamming on the brakes on, on the economy. It's going to be really interesting to see where they go from September. So say they go 75 basis points. Now they're above their neutral estimate. It's gonna be, and they, you know, they talked a lot about front loading, like that last one was front loaded. That kind of implies that they have a destination in mind that's not that far away from where they are now. Uh, so you see in like five This is what Tiff Malkin said you're saying, yeah, right? With yeah, this front, yeah. The reason they went to the 1% was to front load the rates. Front loaders, so they don't yeah. have to do more. Do you buy that though? Do you actually believe that? Um, kind of, I mean, I think people- I mean, these are the same central bankers that told us we hit peak inflation like three months ago at 5%. Yeah, inflation forecasting is difficult. Um, and then the, the same bankers who also said uh, about eight months ago that, that inflation was transitory. Right. And But they also didn't know that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. Yeah. Right? And so the, the problem they have right now yeah. is that the main sources of inflation, if you look at that 8% inflation, about 4% of that, 2% of it or so is gas prices. Yeah. Um, a big chunk of it, maybe another 2%, is, is just gummed up supply chains. So yeah. you look at their estimates when they decompose inflation. And then, you know, we have like more of the core inflation that's still rising, although it started to, to, to looks like maybe peaked in the last month. It's hard to tell with one month of data. So those are really things the Bank of Canada can't have any control over. There's nothing the Bank of Canada could, could do or could have done a year ago to bring global oil prices down or to prevent you know, Russia from invading Ukraine. So whatever they'd done, they could have raised rates and you know, run these simulations and models. They could have raised rates by 200 basis points, 300 basis points last year, and it would have impacted inflation a year later by maybe a percent, right? So we would still probably have 6% inflation or so, mm-hmm. even if the Bank of Canada had acted a lot earlier. This is what people don't really realize. Monetary policy is a really blunt tool. Uh, it affects the economy a lot. If you look at models that the Bank of Canada uses, that other central banks use, every 100 basis point increase in rates lowers inflation by about 25 basis points after about a year, a little longer. Okay. It's just not that powerful. It's right. really good at calibrating inflation around a 2% target. It's really bad at bringing inflation down from really high levels, yeah. especially when that inflation is being caused Well, and you can see that in emerging factors. markets like uh, Argentina, for example, has no bearing at all, really. I mean, it's like... You can raise rates as much as they want, and it doesn't. It's still inflation yeah, is still yeah. totally out of control. Um, but th- this ch- this chart, maybe we will digress for a moment on policy. Uh, and what I like about this, I saw when I was looking at this earlier yeah. today, is your stress test component here. So if we see uh, mortgage rates right now in the 
four and a half to five and a half percent range to qualify you got to qualify for six and a half to seven and a half yeah that eliminates a large part of the market is that not a fair statement oh a huge part of the market uh-huh. um and you mean or i mean they qualify but it just they, you know instead of qualifying <coughs> well, they, they, for an eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage yeah. they're qualifying for like a five hundred thousand. yeah mortgage. it wipes out a pretty significant amount of your purchasing power I mean, yeah that's a way, to, way to put it and like even capped at 5.25 percent as a minimum qualifying rate like fine you can live with that clearly it didn't have much of an impact um you know this past summer when it came into effect when that minimum qualifying rate came to effect there's still lots of sales happening people are qualifying easily oh sorry the stress test is capped at 5.25 no it was it, it's, oh, the higher okay. it's, it's, it's the higher of it's the higher of 5.25 yeah, yeah. and your rate plus yeah. your basis points yeah sky's the limit right now so right Crazy. now yeah it's so it's it's probably far too stringent right now to yeah. qualify people at, at 7%. I don't, you know, it's... I mean, if we see mortgage rates go up in lockstep with the bank account, let's just make an assumption. Yeah. That's another 1.5% perhaps. Well, no, right they, now, five-year fixed have that priced in already. Already. So okay. like the, the, the five-year fixed mortgage rate, of course, moves based on expectations. And it's it hit 5.15 or so. Yeah. That was, that, and that was the five-year bond yield pricing in right. Bank of Canada at three and a half. So when all of this, we've seen bond yields actually come down in recent weeks, yeah. and you know the five-year fixed rate came down all the way from 5.14 to 5.09 or something. Yeah. So a lot of this is already priced in. That's why yeah. it's so interesting what they're going to say in September, because if they hint like, oh, there's more to come, then we'll get higher five-year fixed rates. If they hint, yeah. we might be done, maybe rates come down a little bit. I mean, our kind of equilibrium yeah. estimate is, you know, a little bit. But at least, know, it's kind of I mean, between there, now yeah. and September, we're probably, I mean, things, unless things change dramatically, there's also gonna be another inflation print in the month of August. Yep. And if it comes at eight, 9%, I would imagine that these rates are gonna hold steady at least until that net next rate announcement of the Bank of Canada. So, yeah. so Brendan, you've got this uh, slide in front of here. It's called simulations, rising rates and home sales. So walk us through what this graph is telling us. So we went back and looked at the past 40 years of Bank of Canada rate tightening cycles, there's 10 of them, and then traced out what happened 24 months after the Bank of Canada started raising rates. That's that shaded area. Okay. So you can see it's a pretty wide range of results from up a lot to down a lot. Uh, and then we looked and at- And results of what? In sales? Oh, this home sales. How much home sales have Okay, v- have sales changed? volume or prices? Uh, sales, unit sales. So, unit sales, so, okay, yeah. gotcha. Yep. Okay. So uh, index to 100, where do they go once the bank can starts to uh, tighten rates? So you can see, uh, we compare that then with what happened with B20 uh, in 2000, after 2018. Uh, and then our current rate path model, so we'd done this with a bunch of different assumptions about the, where the Bank of Canada was going. Uh, with how aggressive they have been, we went back and, 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 uh, and altered that assumed rate path and then added what's actually happened since we, we did the initial analysis. You can see that red line is tracing pretty close to the, the low end of the historical range and pretty close to our model path as well, which would then assume that sales, you know, if, 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 if the bank of Canada does what our model expects, uh, if they don't deviate from their current expectation, sales will be down about 60% from peak over the next two years. That peak was really high. Yes. But that's a pretty, you know, that, that means like 65 to 70,000 sales in the province, which is a little worse than 2018, 2019. And what causes that? Is that just everybody kind of waiting to see where rates settle out? And they're kind of like, okay, you know what, I'm just going to put myself on hold for the next year or two? Or what, what causes a such decline in, in sales activity? 
well, people are pretty interest rate sensitive. So you know, right. with, with everything, monthly payments matter. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to raise that monthly payment and with the stress test. And right. so there's the stress test introduces like kind of a nonlinearity that's hard to, to model because now there's like a threshold. Yeah. Um, but just like, you know, normal kind of models that incorporate demand and how, the, how demand is impacted by interest rates. This is sort of you shock interest rates. This is what happens. Okay. This next slide, I think, is just as interesting. You know, again, our, our, your, your constituents, your, your stakeholders are realtors, and of course, they are interested in sales volume because that's how they get paid. Yep. Uh, I think our listeners are probably more interested in prices. I mean, yeah, I what's going to happen to the price of my yeah, house? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yep. Yeah, or can I? And I think about the young people that are in this room helping record this, and you know, they're, they're maybe not in the real estate market. This might yeah. be their opportunity, although be it a cost of borrowing is much higher, but uh, you know, prices come down, you know, rates go up by two or three percent, but prices come down by sure. 20. So talk us, walk us through this, um, yeah. this one here. It's called same. simulations, rising rates and home prices. Yep. So same exercise this time with prices. So again, looking at the past 40 years of Bank of Canada tightening cycles, uh, that's again, the shaded area, huge uh, divergence in, in outcomes from, you know, down to 10% to up after two years. Uh, and then again, following, you know, shocking the model with the current rate path and see what happens to prices. In the model, uh, the way price declines are generated is you need to have a real imbalance of listings over sales. So as sales fall, listings accumulate, you start to get downward pressure on prices. So in our model, it takes kind of a long time, even with a pretty aggressive Bank of Canada, to get prices down about 10% after 24 months. What we're actually seeing is that the average price, which is really impacted by composition of those sales, is down about 14% already after since February, after a few months. Uh, and uh, and if we look at measures that, that kind of try to correct for the composition of sales, prices are down about, I think, like 8% or something. Okay. So the when composition part, me yeah. Measures to compensate, is one of those the fact that your data set of sales is a, probably a smaller number, so there's some outliers that are maybe skewing those numbers downwards? It's, or? It, yeah, no, it's actually, so we have this, the uh, Korea produces this HPI, which is a, tries yeah. to assess home price index. Right? Home price index. Yeah. It's kind of like Case-Shiller, so it's like a, a, a paired sales. You're trying to compare apples to apples. Okay. So if this type of home sells, uh, let's compare it to the same type of home, right? And yeah. see how the price has changed. So same characteristics and everything. Yeah. The average price can be really skewed if, especially in the, like in the last year, we had a lot of more expensive single family home selling, especially in markets like the Fraser Valley and Chilliwack, because people were going out to those markets because you could get space more yeah. affordably. Um, now in the Fraser Valley, they saw the last few months, their lowest share of single family homes on record. Uh, people just, they're just not, they're not selling at the same rate. Mm. So that really changes the overall composition. So when you're calculating an average, really distorts things so I see about okay. half of uh, how about half of the declining average price right now is just that distortion but there is some real weakness in the market right now for sure okay. it seems like things peaked in well based on this red line you're showing here that's the actual average like these are real tangible yep, that's, that's real time numbers average uh, up to May or June there. okay and and what we're seeing based against uh, your historical model is performing prices worse. have dropped a lot more than what would historically happen yeah, and it's not, I mean, it's very different depending on the region you go to. So, like, okay. Victoria what's the, was actually up 
Oh, oh, okay. And like, so out of all regions down, in BC, Victoria, from a value perspective, is it, Victoria is uh, still going up the HBI month over month. Uh, I think some regions, and they like the like the interior are still seeing not Kelowna, but more like what's the where's the worst? Where, who's had the biggest drop in prices? Probably I think it's Chilliwack and Fraser Valley, yeah. but those are the markets that went up like fifty percent. Right. In okay. Two years. So that's good context as so well. So it's it's the markets that went up the most are seeing. Uh, the largest pullback, they tend to be the most interest rate sensitive, just the demographics of those areas. Younger yeah. families are going to be more interest rate sensitive. Okay. Brendan, as I'm looking at this graph, um, this is by month, so this goes out two years, and I look at the variation in, in historical prices, it looks to me like if you were going to make a bet, I mean, the chances are if you bought a house now and at the beginning of this rate rising cycle, historically, you, you, in 24 months, 25 months, you're going to have a pretty high chance that the value of your home is a lot higher. You know, when we run kind of our model simulations, pretty good chance we see the Bank of Canada cutting rates next as early as next year. So, do you actually believe that? I do. <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> I'll like give the, you. I'm like the only guy in this industry that says I'll give no, you, yeah, no the, fucking way. I'm <laughs> like it's not happening. The classic, the, the classic uh, economist answer is a 40% chance. So you're like not yeah, even. Yeah, you yeah. can never be wrong, really, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but like, if if you take seriously, um, you know, talk about a recession in the next year, if that happens, and I, I don't say 40% yeah. chance. Um, Rates are coming down. Okay. Um, if if we get any good news on inflation, rates are going to start coming down at some okay. point. Especially if they over tighten. This is assumes right. they over tighten to about three point two five, come down to two so, and a half. Yeah, fair enough. If you okay. look at at measures in the U.S., you can see between meetings or from the most recent uh, Fed meeting, um, expectations derived from the yield curve of what the Fed's going to do have actually come down like hundred yeah. basis points. Uh, yeah, that's wild. And now are pricing in rate cuts happening in late two thousand twenty three. Yeah. Saying. So yeah, it is again. Yeah. These are models. Models yeah. are almost always wrong. Yeah. So exactly. Uh, but there's a very good chance. That's one reason for, like, for some optimism. I think maybe uh -huh. interest rates have peaked. And then the next one is why I'm really optimistic okay. about housing in BC. In BC, yeah. If you want to go to the next the next slide, um, is is the demographics of BC. So that that orange block is all of the millennials, the largest population cohort in BC. Uh, we're going to have if you believe BC stats projections, more people aged 30 to 39 uh, over the next 10 years than we have in the past 50 years. Yeah. And the thing about 30 year olds is they really need homes. Right. right? So yeah, sure. I've, I've got kids. I don't want them living with me when they're 30. Yeah. Um, I don't think most people do. Uh, we need homes for 30 year olds. Let's probably get into supply too. But like the demand is going to be there. It's yeah. just a matter of like whether or not we really satisfy that demand. And this doesn't even include, is this including immigration from other provinces? And, and the, 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 the population projections do, the other one's okay. a snapshot of current population. Oh, current population. Oh, oh, this one here. Yeah, yeah. okay, gotcha. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of, do you remember that book from David Foote, the, dar, the uh, professor from UB, uh, University of Toronto? Echo, Boom, Boom Bust and Echo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That no. was a pretty cool book. He had well, this we start to see the results of that now. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. He yeah. was, I remember him saying like, he was expecting like uh, fish sales to increase and, and, and beef sales to decrease because I guess people go from eating beef to chicken to fish. Is that and a like, thing? And like alcohol, they go from drinking cheap beer to wine to hard spirits. <laughs> they go from playing like, they go from playing like, skiing to like tennis. And that's why I think now. Was that backed by like longitudinal like, studies of like, yeah. they actually see like if people oh, change totally. their behaviors? Yeah, it's like along Make, this line. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And that's, oh, I think that's why 
that goofy game which is on no tennis courts now they played on tennis oh, pickleball. pickleball yeah it's just like a, it's like yeah. a it's like just like a bad knees version of uh, tennis right <laughs> <The> tennis <laughs> where you don't have to move <laughs> exactly I think that's the baby boomers right yeah. they just their knees can't you just, you just lost so anymore. much of your audience <laughs> so like, is he slandering pickleball <laughs> and, yeah, e- exactly. and, and e-bikes yeah, and e-bikes yeah. exactly yeah. yeah yeah never pedal up a hill again yeah um this question for either of you fellows um for prospective buyers out there, and this is really good, Brendan, this helps think, give, give people context of where things may go. How would you advise potential buyers today to navigate in this current environment? Do you have any way to, any advice to give them? That's a, that's a, no, you, you. Yeah, you no, start from, my advice is always the same. It's just, it's for young people. It's find something you're comfortable with that you can afford, especially, uh, and that you're gonna stay in for at least five years so you can ride out all this volatility, you know? Over time, housing's been a pretty good bet. I mean, it's you know, uh, over the past forty years, uh, yeah. it's been a pretty pretty good bet. Not that you only should think of it of it financially, but um, you know, generally, if you're in a house long enough, you can kind of smooth out all these ups and downs. And yeah. most importantly, find something you're financially comfortable with. Don't don't take don't take on too yeah. much. Okay. Don't sacrifice you know your life for your house. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I can't I can't add to that. I mean, I, I, I think, um, you know, the the concept of uh, homes being an investment, real real estate is an investment uh, and, and can be an investment in, in uh, kind of the same line of thinking as, as the world that you work within. Yeah. Um, but a home should be a home first. Yeah. And, and people need to make that decision outside of markets and uh, potential upswing and uh, speculation yeah. uh, you're going to need, whether it's this place or the next, you need a roof over your head yeah. uh, until, well un- until you're done. And, yeah. and we need a lot of help to make it easier for young people to, to get into homes. And right it's, now, it's, it's, far, it's far, far too difficult. It's a paradox, right? Like, yeah. like you, you, uh, in order to make it easier, we need more supply in order to, to, to generate, you know, kind of work towards affordability. But those that have homes, don't want their values to go down in line with what makes it more affordable for the next generation to come in. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a it's a push and pull, and that's that. Well, I mean, that's how markets work. That's yeah. economies, and, that, and that's actually that almost divides the lines in some of the municipal parties we're seeing here in Vancouver right now. Uh, those who are pro development versus against. Um, I have one other question about interest rates um, in this rate tight, tightening cycle. Are there any particular regions that would be more sensitive to uh, a rising rate environment, fast rising rate environment than others, or is it pretty much going to affect all British Columbians the same? Yes, yeah, so we have that 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 chart, and so far, what we've seen is that more expensive areas, no surprise, have been way more sensitive. Okay. Uh, and or you know places like Chilliwack that had saw a lot of like pandemic trend kind of driven demand uh, that has now kind of dried up. So like the affordability difference between parts of Vancouver and Chilliwack really, really narrowed. So now you're like, well, do I want to commute from Chilliwack? Uh, so a lot of that demand has has definitely, at least the sales activity has gone away. Yeah, Markets like the Kootenai uh, in the north that are more affordable uh, haven't really, I mean, they're down because they were setting records last year. They're down a lot less than, than more expensive markets of the lower mainland. So we're going to go through a few different policies that both the federal and provincial governments have either come out with already or they've uh, recently passed in legislation or they're proposing. In 2019, the BC government launched an independent review of money laundering in, pro- in the province led by Honorable Austin Cullen. 
In, this, uh, in his final report, which was just recently published, there were several recommendations specifically addressed to the real estate sector. Now, Brendan, you gave testimony at the Cullen Commission. I did, and I was, I was happy to see a lot of that testimony reflected in the report. I think, um, um, what do you call him? I don't want to call him Cullen. What's his <laughs> Yeah, uh, Austin Cullen. Commission, Commissioner Cullen. Commissioner Cullen. Cullen. Yeah. Um, I think agreed with a lot of our viewpoint on what's been the cause of, of unaffordability in BC housing markets. That's It's not money laundering. Uh, and I think it was, he had, you know, he's a, seems like a pretty fair guy, and I think his conclusions were, were very fair and Maybe I'm only saying that because he agreed with us, but, <laughs> but um, no, I mean that we were, I was happy to give, uh, give that testimony and it seems like. Um, if there were you know, one or two recommendations within that report uh, that you wanted to highlight, you support, that you agree with, what would they be? I, I think to Brendan's point, like the, the nod towards not only that money laundering contributed to the unaffordability environment in BC, but that supply is the culprit right or lack of supply and that and that is really where focus needs to be he, he gave a nod towards that um, I, I think the other piece is uh, the empowerment or, or the the uh, extended uh, necessity for FinTrack uh, the the financial uh, uh, organization federally uh, responsible for managing you know anti-money laundering initiatives across Canada through various sectors including real estate um, giving them a little more, uh, uh, or making them more accountable, accountable. more yeah. accountable for, what, the, for what their for what their enough. role is. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and uh, so that in response to to the report, uh, you know, my my messages were uh, as we spoke with media and other stakeholders is um, the the real estate industry is very interested in uh, you know helping in in any respect that we can. Uh, but the guidance is is you know limited or non-existent, and then and then it's hard to meet expectations when there's a lack of guidance. So right. just those those would be our big biggest takeaways. L listen to Commissioner Cullen. Like okay. we we were supportive of the report. Okay. Yeah. Was there any were there any recommendations uh, that were in that report that just don't hold weight or are just unrealistic as far as uh, implementation? I think from the, from the real estate perspective, uh, no. Um, the one of the uh, one of the kind of recommendations or, or guidelines of the recommendations was to empower the BC Financial Services Authority, the provincial regulator, yeah. um, to take some of the initiatives of FinTrack or or empower them a little bit more on the anti money laundering side. Um, and we just don't see that one that's not their responsibility. Uh, FinTrack has all of the resources that they need and, and yeah. they just need maybe to better utilize them. Uh, but also it is a federal jurisdiction and uh, we, we want to see BCFSA be able to focus on the things that they already uh, are not resourced enough to do sure. uh, and, and kind of empower them to do their job as it currently exists. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it, uh, Colin didn't specifically say do this or don't do that. Um, but we just want to make sure that, you know, interpretations of what he's suggesting are, are you know, kind of implemented accordingly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's good. Um, housing affordability. We, you've just you've been mentioned a few times about uh, about supply. So housing affordability is is becoming obviously a very dominant topic amongst all three levels of government. We've got a municipal election coming up this October. 
So we're hearing about a lot here in British Columbia amongst the mayoral candidates and city people running for city council, um, with you know promises from all these politicians and how they're going to fix things. Um, we are going to go through three legislative uh, promises by the federal and provincial government on policies they've come up with, and I want to get your guys' take on it. So let's start with the first one. It's a federal policy by the Trudeau government, and it's referred to as the two-year foreign buyers ban. So first simple question is, uh, what do you think of this policy, and is it going to have any unintended consequences? No, I think it's one of those policies, um, and they, they know this, that is politically popular because people like to blame other people who themselves, uh, but there's nothing in the data to support it having an impact. And the markets where it might have an impact are Vancouver and Toronto. Uh, in BC, and mostly in Vancouver, over the past, since the pandemic, really, foreign true foreign investment, so non-resident purchase of real estate in BC, was 0.5%. Okay. transactions so yeah you can ban it all day long it was basically banned over the past two years uh, we had very little foreign buy-in activity um, even if you you know increase the definition to anyone in the per in the transaction is a non-resident so you know marry you're married to someone who's not a citizen um, then it goes up I don't know to like one percent maybe it's, right. it's just not an issue it's right. it's it's such a but it's it's gonna be it's a politically it's popular virtue, virtue um, but and you know Every party was recommending doing it. They all know it's not going to make any have any impact. It's kind of the perfect okay. policy because it's one of those policies that gets you political uh, uh, goodwill, uh, and it's going to have no damaging zero, effect zero to, effect. The, to, to yeah. anything. So yeah. Yeah. it's not going it to move gonna, the needle no. at all. Okay, no. that's what I kind of figured. Okay, the next one I want to talk about is also another federal one, and it's called the ban on blind bidding. So first of all, can you explain what the heck that this means? And what kind of impact is this going to have on the market? Yeah, so I, I think I think to your point, uh, first an explanation is is uh, warranted for the for the listener. Um, blind bidding is terminology that's uh, used pretty generally across Canada, uh, whether federally or, or in provincial jurisdictions, to uh, kind of describe the current environment that uh, real estate is traded in, especially real estate through a realtor or, or a licensee in, in those jurisdictions and. That is where a buyer will put in an offer and that the contents of that offer, the details of that offer are not shared with all of the other buyers. So the exact opposite of blind bidding is an open auction where you're holding up a paddle and everybody knows what you bid in the in real time. Um, we're when when this is a conversation topic, I really try to change the terminology to confidential offers. Uh, because then people know what they're losing. Uh, so if you Good ban point. blind bidding, then you ban all of the confidentiality that is involved in the transaction process. Um, our position is similar to what happened in Ontario last month, maybe, or month before, uh, where the regulator um, just opened up the opportunity for the consumer to have choice. So it, they didn't say we're banning blind bidding, which okay. is which is what the Trudeau government kind of wrote into the... Uh, the uh, uh, budget narrative uh, was was a ban on blind bidding, uh, but what they did was say we're not banning blind bidding. It's still a process that's allowed, but we're also allowing open offers and and kind of an auction style. In British Columbia, auctions are allowed. Uh, you can sell your home by auction. Uh, the, there's auction houses that do that. 
Um, it's not popular, obviously. The majority of houses are sold through the MLS system by a realtor um, for, for obvious reasons. Uh, it's mm. a process that works. It, it provides confidentiality to the, to the parties uh, as, as necessary. Um, one of the concerns around uh, uh, you know, the, the process of confidential offers and the reason that uh, the Trudeau govern government kind of talked about this is that there was a perception that there's a huge gap between the accepted offer and the next highest bid. So without the buyer being able to see what that what they're offering and what others are offering, then somebody will come in and say, we're going to we're going to pay fifty thousand dollars more uh, than the purchase price or than the sorry, than the listing list price. price okay. And uh, the next person only paid twenty thousand more than the list price. So there's a thirty thousand dollar gap. Um, saying that that actually inflates the price and kind of, you know, where they wouldn't have had to. A um, couple of things about that. One, the person with the most money is going to buy the house anyway, regardless. Um, but also, uh, all of our research showed that there's a psychological component to open bidding where it doesn't suggest that people will stop. Uh, if they know what others are, are bidding, it actually pushes prices higher or mm -hmm. could push prices higher. And there's sure. a psychological component to that. Um, and then the third piece of this is open offers are uh, there. There are bans on blind bidding, bans on on confidential offers in other jurisdictions in the world, and they saw all of the unaffordability issues that we saw in British Columbia and other parts of Canada uh, as interest rates dropped, as you know, uh, 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 the the governments and 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 uh, uh, stakeholders started to affect change in order to kind of offset the issues with with COVID and with market conditions. So um, all of that said, we we uh, would be adamantly opposed to a, a ban, an outright ban on blind bidding. Yeah. Uh, but we do see the opportunity for the consumer to have choice. And, right, and, sure. and arguably they do now. Yeah. And, and sorry, just to be clear, Trevor, you were saying that Ontario opened this up to let the seller choose. Yeah, so so their regulation didn't have the option for uh, for an open offer system. Okay, uh, and so so they changed that in British Columbia. That that option is already available. Okay, like a, right. a, a, a seller yes. can go can, to an can to go an auction house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd add three things. Yeah. Um, Whoa, one, I missed three I, things. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Enhance, enhance. That's why you, that's why you brought them. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, exactly. As a smart CEO. <laughs> yeah. in, all, um, empirical studies done on on auctions versus versus. Uh, other types of, 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 uh, of transaction structures show that it has at best no effect and often causes prices to rise uh, higher than it would otherwise. Um, so that three things. The second one, oh, in Australia um, has about 25% of their transactions are done through auctions and like sometimes like out on the front lawn type auctions. Um, they had prices rise just as much as Canada did. So clearly this is not, prices don't rise because of how transactions are structured. Third, and really interestingly, you can't have auctions and cooling off for kind of obvious reasons. If you have <laughs> right, people yeah. bidding and their incentive is to bid the most money possible, and then they're like, oh, I didn't want to pay that much, and then you use the you know, the, the right of, uh, whatever it was, rescission? Yeah, rescission, right, right yeah. of rescission, yeah. You can't have that. So that's why in Australia, if you opt for an auction, they have cooling off in Australia. If you opt for an auction, you can't have cooling off. Yeah. So you can only have one or the other. You oh can't have goodness. an auction and cooling off. What a mess. Well, we're about to get into cooling off in a second, but I do want to just on this blind bidding ask too. So, you know, being someone who trades in the equity markets all the time, we're dealing in an open auction environment constantly every day. And it seems logical in the world we're in, but I think the big difference 
uh, is that when I'm buying or selling Royal Bank shares, there's only two things I can uh, manipulate or change. How much I want to buy or sell and the price I want to pay. That's yeah, it. Right. Yeah. But in a real estate transaction, when you think about someone's home, there's, there's, the, uh, there's the deposit, yeah. there's the subjects, yeah. you know, yeah. subjects of like subject to financing, Dates. subject to sale. There's, there's, yeah, there's, there's closing dates. There's, uh, there's all sorts. It's not yeah, just yeah. the price, no, right? Well, that's yeah. a really good point. When it, when it, but when it becomes an auction, it becomes about price. Yeah, it's yeah. The only thing it becomes about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and that was one of our big speaking points. Is it, I mean, it's not. I wouldn't suggest that policy be based on on this particular notion, but all of the anecdotal stories that you hear about the family writing a letter and telling the seller, this is our scenario and this house is perfect for our child who has a disability because of the style of the home or whatever yes. it is. And the seller choosing that offer yeah. uh, that's $30,000 exactly. lower than the highest bid. Those are real stories. Those, are, those, real are, stories. Th those are not fictitious. And um, and again, it doesn't happen often enough that I think policy should be based on this, but you negate all of those options sure. because it is motivated well, the, by price. Yeah, and, the irony is you're turning it into a purely financial transaction, 100%. which goes against your earlier comment, Trevor. Your advice was make sure that when you're buying a home, yeah. know that you're home first it's a and home not first. just an investment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. well yeah. said. Yeah. Um, the other part about the, the blind bidding that I find uh, kind of interesting is I can see in a in a... So is the idea that if let's say let's I let's say I'm the seller and Trevor and Brendan you're two buyers, and it's just for a million bucks, okay? And you come in at a million, and you come in at one point one, does that mean then because it's open you can then change your offer and go to one point two? Is that the concept of, of open whatever they I guess the opposite of blind bidding? Yeah, well, there's different there's different scenarios and 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 well, so what is the so, Trudeau government proposing to do? Well, they're not. So so oh. the thing is that the Trudeau government has no jurisdiction over this. So okay. all they're doing is telling provinces who do have the jurisdiction that we want to ban on blind bidding, go oh, and do what you need to do. Oh. And so. Uh, no pro no province governance. <laughs> no no province has has you know kind of taken that full on okay. uh, nor do I expect anybody to like okay. it, like the the, the, the so data just is, isn't so there. this is political theater I mean that's not even the right it, jurisdiction to, to an extent so so the recommendations coming from the BC Financial Services Authority on what we're going to talk about next I think is yeah. the, the cooling off period that's right as part of their recommendation package they did talk to the blind bidding process and all they the, their entire the entirety of their recommendation was don't do anything yet do a lot more research before you do anything but if you do something make it a really small piece and so I think I think the context of their recommendation was something to the effect of if I uh, make it a, 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 a quote-unquote blind bidding process as as we see today but in the event that the seller counter offers to one of the buyers then that buyer then has the opportunity to see, okay, what what am I up against? If you're asking me to counter, what so so it's a very small piece of the overall environment, yeah. um, and 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 even that we're okay with. We're okay with having those conversations and seeing what are the impacts, doing more research. Um, but but as we'll talk about in a second, we've not been confident that that's <laughs> that's how this is all rolling yeah. out. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well that's I mean that's how government normally rolls, right? They don't. 
they don't want to ask the guys like you who are in this game every day. It's better off just to sit around at a table. Well, what's what's worse is form when up they, their own policies and then let you. What's know worse is when they ask and then they ignore it. Yeah, that's right. Good and that's what we'll talk about next. <laughs> All right. Well, perfect. The other segue into cooling off. So the BC government introduced legislation in the spring of 2022 to mandate a cooling off period. Now. My opinion is we're already in a cooling off period. I mean, like this is like a heck of a cooling off period. The Bank of Canada is doing it for us. But first, similar to the blind bidding, explain what is this cooling off period that they're proposing and how is it going to affect the, the market? Yeah. So I, I, and, and again, I, I, I think that's a really important place to start because even your comments about the, the market cooling off, it's it's two very different things. And 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 bad branding it's bad branding yeah (laughs) because because it does it it, it's like the bc government school tax it it has gotten confused you know i not just not just by uh, media and 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 stakeholders at that level but certainly even within our industry and then to the consumer as well so the cooling off period is strictly a consumer protection piece so it, it relates to the transaction it's actually a cooling off period for the buyer, it gives them a chance to cool off, not for the market or for the house or for the price or you know I- any economical aspects of the transaction to cool off. It's it's a it's a, a chance for for the buyer to take a breath, mm. and it's like a buyer's remorse. Yeah, yeah, it, right. it, too a, much. a built in, a built in buyer's remorse. Yeah, and wow. and and we're not. The, the thing is, and and I I get your position, like like from a from a. a, a just just looking at it from a business perspective and an enterprise related perspective less regulation is always better yeah but we also appreciate that in markets like real estate there is an opportunity to make sure that the consumer is protected and, and we will participate in all of those conversations okay as we did with this so the minister as you pointed out uh, the 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 legislation was enacted earlier this year, albeit completely empty. It was it was vacant of any any actual substance. Um, but the minister announced in November fourth uh, of twenty twenty one that a cooling off period was coming. And this is uh, so uh, Attorney General David Eby, who's also or is this uh, Selena Robinson? Selena Robinson. Okay. Yeah. So okay. so Selena Robinson announced the, the cooling off Minister of Finance. Yeah. Um, who is responsible for the the real estate sector and oh, and uh, the BC Financial Services Authority, the regulator of the real estate industry. Right. Um, so uh, that announcement in November uh, gave way to us, the BC Real Estate Association, putting together probably one of the most comprehensive studies that we've done in uh, recent years, perhaps recent decades. Uh, around what that means. What are the impacts? What are other jurisdictions doing? Let's pull in all of the data, all of the research. And we came out with a white paper called A Better Way Home, and it was populated with a, a tremendous amount of information, which then supported 34 recommendations. And those recommendations were actually around consumer protection. Okay. Um, because we are about consumer protection. We, we, sure. we want to play in that in yeah. that space as well. Um, that those 34 recommendations were utilized by the BC Financial Services Authority to populate their recommendations to the minister. They were tasked by the minister to come up with if we've got this this approved policy now, what should it look like? What should the contents be? 
So the BCFSA, the BC Financial Services Authority, came out with 17 recommendations, a lot of which were adopted from our white paper. So we okay. were happy to see that. We, like our, us as industry frontline people are starting to have an impact on what this policy can look like. Great. Um, today, the contents of the policy were announced. Uh, and what, today, uh, like today, today. <laughs> And well, so, well, so really? when the listeners yeah. when the like listeners hear July, this, it'll be it'll be a, it'll be yeah. Oh, wow. When the listeners okay. hear this, it'll be it'll be past tense. But, um, but yeah, I I've been on. Uh, this is actually my sixth interview today, and I've oh, got really? four. I've got four more, uh, and one the next one is in ten minutes. So, <laughs> okay, so we gotta right, keep we gotta keep up. going. Yeah. Um, but great but timing, man. That, job, that, by the way. that policy like two months ago. So so that announcement today. Uh, was absent of, as I said, 34 recommendations yeah. from us, 17 recommendations okay, from BCFSA. From BCFSA yeah. uh, and the entirety of the policy was one of those. Um, Which one? It, it, just the, cool, the the narrowly focused on the cooling off period itself. And what it so three three days uh, that 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 transactions are required. Real estate transactions are required to have a three day cooling off period, and there is a rescission uh, option for uh, for the buyer to to pay a penalty if they want to enact uh, the 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 quarter off quarter of a point. So quarter of on a, a million point. dollars, twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, so you can lock up a, a, a transaction and then three but, days later, if you don't want to do this, oh, wow, okay. So so, right. so the, the biggest message out of all of this from us is the regulator is there with the, with the, the capacity, um, the expertise, uh, access to us as, as a frontline organization yeah. to do their job. And they've been not given that opportunity at all. And wow. and uh, so so was this all of small, this research, narrow cooling off one was it even one of the seventeen. Yes, yeah, that that's it, it's basically it's basically uh, satisfying what the original announcement was. Okay. So she came out with the announcement that she's going to put in a cooling right. off period, so and, was, and that's exactly what she, she can did. At least say that yeah, she's she doing did that, what she what she said she would. Yeah. Um, to your other to going back to your original point about the market changing now. The, the challenge is that the effectiveness of this one policy is going to be absolutely zero uh, right. because because it really is and and rightly so like w again we were actually supportive of we weren't initially based on our research we wanted a pre-offer period we wanted to give sellers and buyers an equal amount of time that the listing sits on the market and and kind of create that that t opportunity for a breath by everybody take take a beat um, and then the BCFSA recommended the three-day cooling off uh, in conjunction with it. So we were we went back and looked at it, and we were okay with it. We're okay with all of this stuff. Like we we understand that there is value to making sure that the consumer is protected. protected. Yeah. But on its own, in the current market environment, it has zero influence because we don't have multiple offer situations anymore, and we right. don't have offers without Great any point. conditions. Yeah. I think it acts as an accelerator. On the way up and down, you were mentioning you lock up property. So in a market, when we're back in a market that's heating up, you lock up three or four home. I mean, if it really favors deep-pocketed buyers because now you're like, well, I, I want to get one of these. So I'm going to lock up some of them and make sure that I'm, I'll just use the rescission on the ones I don't want. Right. Yeah, so on the way up, sure. you're, you're you're causing extra bids and all these. So you're, yeah, you're, you're helping mess. it overheat. On the way down in a in a in a, in a, a down market, then you're going to more likely be pulling your offer and it has this cascading effect because most right. sellers are also buyers and they yeah. have so now you have all of these 
you know, um, um, sequential sort of sales. Yeah. And I, I pull my offer, yeah. and now all of a sudden I can't get by the house I want, and so on and so wow. on, and just adds risk on the way up and down. <laughs> it's, which it, we, which we told them. Yeah, it, 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 it's a challenge. Like we yeah. would have been, we would have been good with kind of the holistic package. And uh, anyway, the the biggest, the biggest message that we're sharing with government is is empower the regulator to do their job and let them do their job, fellas. Supply is uh, thing I think most people agree we need more supply. Trevor, you were saying that earlier. Um, the bottleneck seems to be it's being a Vancouverite here locally. We got a BC, uh, we got municipal elections happening across the <coughs> province in October, and it seems like the bottleneck is in approvals. At least here in the, if we take this all back to the Vancouver proper market, like Vancouver City of Vancouver, what do you guys see in there? Do you guys, do you agree? Do you think that there's a real problem with respect to getting uh, projects approved in Vancouver? Yeah, and it's been a problem for a really long time. It's a problem in basically every municipality in BC. We did some research. Uh, earlier this year, showing if you can get that process down from like we get our model, we said an average of 39 months to get kind of permit to completion down to two years, you could lower the long run equilibrium uh, rate of growth in prices uh, by like one or two percent, which is a wow, huge impact. So instead of prices growing at seven percent every year, which just compounds on affordability, you get that down to like three to five percent, somewhere around there, right? And it just it really helps, but we need more and we need to get it to market faster. So the inability to match supply and demand quickly is the biggest problem the Vancouver market has. I see. We have all these periods where supply is really low, listings are really low, and then you get hit with a demand shock or interest rates suddenly fall, and then you have this, all of this sales activity in the market that's undersupplied, and you get what happened last uh, last two years where prices go up 40%. So yeah. we need that supply quickly, so we need to get approvals faster, and we need to get the construction time shorter. And we're seeing some of our advocacy efforts work in this area. So, so uh, last year we went to government and, and pushed for um, pushing municipalities uh, more to follow the official community plans, the OCPs, uh, rather than if something is in the OCP, still going to a public hearing, creating more red tape and more delays. Um, and, uh, and we've seen the government kind of respond to that. Um, it hasn't helped that UBCM, the Union of BC Municipalities, has come out with their own paper, uh, albeit poorly supported, um, to say that you know it's not our problem; it's somebody else's problem. Uh, so, our, so our efforts are continuing. <laughs> I, I mean, and, how and, can that be possible? Yeah, but, uh, and, yeah, and we'll we'll just continue to to play our part it's, to make sure that the supply issue stays on the front. It's encouraging. Like David Eby has actually been really encouraging yeah. on this issue. Like he's really seeing that supplies yeah. is an issue and so I think Taking we're going to have leadership, away from the leadership yeah. for both major parties seem to be yeah. on the supply side of things. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well guys this has been a great conversation. I know you got a lot more calls today Trevor with this latest announcement. So we've got Trevor Coots, CEO of the BC Real Estate Association. Brendan Ogmanson who's the uh, chief economist for the same association. Guys I really appreciate this conversation today. Thank you so yeah, much for fun. coming in to, Absolutely. to Coastal yeah. Front. Appreciated yeah. it. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks guys.